everyone knows who you are when they got to give a long introduction, right? <laughs> so, but I, I just wanted to say um, it's, it really is humbling to be up here because um, last week I think we had Dr. Bishop Kirby Clement and his wife, uh, Sandra. This Thursday we had, um, you know, Apostle Robert Daniels come and, and bless us uh, for the past appreciation night. And, and, and then for me to come up here and stand up here, I mean, I truly, I, I feel humbled by that. Um, but I'm not intimidated. I'm not intimidated. Because I don't come as anything else but a son of this house. And I'm just standing before my family. So there's no intimidation here. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, God, that you're in this place. That's it. You're in this place. And because you're in this place, God. Because you're in this place, Father. God, we can do all things. God, because we're in this place, God, we can't be depressed. Because we're in this place, God, we can't be discouraged. Because you're with us. You are with us. And Father, we just lift up to you, Benjamin and Sonny right now, our spiritual parents, as they're out ministering and blessing other people, God. We just bless them right now. We say that, Lord, that you would fill them with your spirit, with wisdom, with revelation. Would you fill their hearts with compassion, that they would truly inspire and encourage and lift up those people who give so much of themselves to feed your sheep, God. We thank you that you've given us shepherds after your own heart. And God, I just pray that during this time, you would really be honored and that we would just enjoy this time together. And in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I mean, if you guys don't mind, I got to take a quick, uh, quick sip right here. And, you know, um, man, I, I've spoken at, at, at a few places. Um, I, I used to go traveling with one of my friends. He's actually the, the pastor of Living uh, Water Church in Berkeley, James Lee. And uh, every time we go traveling, when, when he spoke, um, they would have like, like hot tea, you know, with like a lemon in it and honey. You know, and stuff like that for him to speak because he was like a, an ordained uh, senior pastor. And, and every now and then he would let me speak like in the mornings because I, maybe he was tired or something. So, so I'll get up in the mornings and speak and like there would never be any water, you know, stuff like that. So like for me to have my own bottle of water, I feel like I've made it. You know, I feel so honored. I feel so honored to be here. So thank you guys for that. But I'd just like to introduce one more time uh, uh, my wife, Erin. If you could just turn around. I'm here just to embarrass you. We got married in... Uh, we got married in September, and um, man, it's been amazing. It's been amazing. I, I remember the, the, the first week um, we spent um, in Oakland, and uh, just her making dinner, I remember I just lifted my hands in the air, and then I was like, thank you, Lord. <laughs> She's an amazing cook. She's been such an encouragement to me, and uh, I've never met anyone like Aaron who has made me feel this way. I remember when, when we first met, um, and... And I just remember talking to one of my friends, and I was like, no one has ever made me feel this way or act this way. I was like, she's so incredible. You know, and after about only five weeks of marriage, I can still say that no one has ever made me feel this way or act this way. You know, and I've realized that marriage brings out the best. But how many of you guys know, see, some of you guys have been married for a while. How many of you guys know marriage brings out the best, but it can also bring out the worst? So, so I love my wife. I love my wife. She's amazing. But there are times I've realized in our marriage where what? She's actually, what? In me, there's something called what? The flesh. And I've never seen my flesh so much as I have in our marriage. See, 
I feel like I'm pretty mature. I feel like, I know, I know I look young, but I feel like I'm pretty mature. I feel like, you know, I'm pretty grown. I have some experiences. But there are times where I'm interacting with my lovely, amazing wife, and I have to, like, look at myself and be like, why am I acting so childish right now? I'm acting like, I was like, I have not acted this childish since I can remember. You know, so when we first met, I was like, no one has made me act this way. No one has ever made me feel this way. You know, and, and, and there was a time we had, had an argument, and it was my fault. And I'm not just saying that. It really was my fault. And I remember going into my room thinking, man, no one has ever made me act this way. No one has ever made me feel this way. You know, marriage does this thing where sometimes it brings out the best, but sometimes it can bring out the worst. Anyone, anyone hear me? You know, there, there's, one, there's one person I think about in the scriptures when I think about, man, this, this guy, there, there were times I looked at him and I saw the best, but there were times I looked at him and, man, I just saw the worst. You know, I think Joseph shared already that I was a children's pastor. Um, I never desired to be a children's pastor. It, it actually happened because uh, my former children's pastor came up to me, and um, this woman was an amazing woman of God. I still remember at, the, at around, around, I believe I was eight years old, and I was probably sitting right where you're sitting right there. Yeah, I'm talking to you. I was around eight years old, and, and she had gone on a mission trip to China. And back then, China, um, now it's, it's opening up a little bit. Back then, um, it was really oppressive. Uh, people were being sent to prison uh, for preaching the gospel. Um, you, it was illegal to have house churches. It's still illegal to have house churches. But around 20-some years ago, um, it was even more oppressive, and it was even more dangerous. And she went to China. She was there sharing the gospel. One of my friends in China came back and told me that his father was there in one of the illegal house churches where people were beaten, um, arrested. The pastors were taken to prison. And he said, when we gathered to worship, it was the most incredible time of worship we've ever had. And, you know, this morning, man, I felt it as, as Charles and the team were leading us in praise. Man, I just, I just felt the presence of God this morning. And he said, it was the most incredible time of worship I've ever had. But you would, if you were walking by the building, you would have never known. He said, because... It was illegal to gather and to worship. What they did, this Chinese churches, when they got together, they would praise, but without making a sound. But they would sing. So when they were singing in my life, it was like this. He said it was the most intense, passionate worship he'd ever been a part of. But if you closed your eyes, you wouldn't hear a single sound. But when you opened your eyes, you just saw the passion from their faces as the tears streamed down. And they... In their hearts, their hearts, they were shaking heaven with the praise that was resounding in their hearts. And so she came back from this. And she came back to our little church where we had 15 little kids and me sitting there bored waiting for snack time. And she's exhorting us eight-year-olds that we've got to become the future missionaries. And we've got to go out and we've got to preach the gospel all over the world. And God's going to send us all over the world. And I remember when she said that, all of a sudden I started listening because I started getting scared. I said, wait, wait, hold on. God's going to do what? She said, God's going to send some of us out of here. God's going to send some of us to China. And I said, no. And she said, and God's going to send some of us to Africa. And when she said that, she looked right at me. And in my head, I said, I'm not going. I said, no, Lord, no. And then without breaking a beat, she looked at me and said, and if you say no, God is definitely going to send you. And she pointed at me. She pointed at me. And I remember being so scared and shouting like, no, I mean, yes, I mean, ah. <laughs> you know, in my heart, I was like, oh, but let me tell you, as, as I've been serving the Lord, there's nothing else I'd rather do. It's brought the greatest freedom in my life. The greatest freedom in my life. So this wonderful, amazing woman of God, my Sunday school pastor, what happened was that as she was moving on to another position, she called me up uh, maybe about like seven years ago. And she says, Joe. 
I was like, oh, Pastor Charlene, how are you doing? It's been a long time. No, I still haven't gone to Africa yet, but I, I, I'm going to make it out there. And we're talking, and she says, you know, I actually called you because um, I'm moving, and I would like you to take over my position as the children's pastor. And I remember telling her, um, you know, that's something I don't even need to pray about. Um, right now, I can tell you no. And so she was like, okay, okay. About a month later, my father calls me up. I'm like, hey, Dad, how's it going? He's like, yeah, Joe, um, you know, Pastor Charlene is moving on. And um, we need a children's pastor, so I would like for you to come be the children's pastor. And since it was my father, I said, I'll pray about it for one week and I'll get back to you. But I think the answer is no. <laughs> I prayed about it. After one day, God told me, go. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So I went there. And let me tell you, it was the most incredible, amazing experience of my life. To, Mickey, you're so blessed. And you guys, I don't know if you realize how, how blessed you are to have Mickey to be your children's pastor. He's amazing. He's amazing. And so, so as I began to pastor these children, I, I, one thing I realized was uh, I couldn't preach to them the way I had been taught to preach. You know, the, the introduction, um, three points, and then application. You know, by the time I, I got past my introduction, they were done. You know? <laughs> and, and so I, I decided to, I'm just going to tell them the stories of the Bible. And so one of the stories I wanted to tell them was the story of Samson. Now, Samson, when I was a kid, he was, he was somebody I wanted to be like. You know, Samson, he, every time I opened my children's Bible and they had a picture of Samson, I mean, this guy had, had muscles on top of his muscles. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I've been married for about five weeks, and already these pants are, are getting way too... This shirt, every, everything's a little bit too tight because I've been eating too good, you know? And, and, and so, so but when I, whenever I look at a picture of Samson, I said, man, I want to be like that. You know, I remember one time I went to the gym, and this was a couple years ago, um... I was in, inactive for a period of my life, but I went to the gym and I was trying to get back in shape and, and I, was, I was doing squats. It's, it's this thing that, that um, it, I think the devil invented it, but it's, it's, it's you know, you, you go all the way down and then you got to go all the way up and, and it just burns everything in your body. And I remember when you, when you start out doing um, weight training again, you can't go back to where you used to be, right? That's lesson number one. That's how you get hurt. And so, you know, I was prideful in that and, and, and nothing is more embarrassing or humiliating than um, like going onto the weights trying it once, getting off, and then taking weights off. You know what I mean? And so if you guys have ever been there. And so I remember I, I, I put on a few weights onto the, the squat machine, and, and I was doing a few squats, and I could barely get it out. And, oh, I remember this person came up to me, and they were like, are you finished? I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, go ahead. And, and this person started putting on the big weights and started squatting like it was nothing. And I'm talking about, like, like legs were just, just, just rippling, and, and biceps were bulging, and, and a six-pack. And, and, like, I just looked at her, and I was like, I'm just so embarrassed right now. I'm just going home. You know, but I, as, a, as a kid, I just wanted to be like Samson. I just wanted to be like Samson. And I remember there was a story about Samson that I was sharing with my children once. It comes from Judges. Judges 15, and it says this. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? He answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. They said to him, We've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Samson said, Swear to me you won't kill me yourselves. Agreed, they answered. We will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and led him up from the rock. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him, shouting. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Then Samson said, With a donkey's jaw, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. I remember sharing that story maybe four years ago 
with my Sunday school kids. And as I shared in the story, I said, children, did you realize that with the Spirit of God, you can do all things? I said, kids, do you realize that when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you, it doesn't matter if you're outnumbered a thousand to one, that you can be victorious. Do you, do you know that with the Spirit of God on your side, that nothing is impossible? And, 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 I, and I'm trying to exhort my kids. I'm trying to excite them. I, I, I'm preaching my heart out. And all of a sudden, one of my kids says, he can't do that. His name was Matthew Akita. I still remember him. <laughs> he interrupted my sermon. He said, he can't do that. I said, you can't do that. He said, he can't do that. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, he can't do that. And I said, oh, wait, maybe you're talking about the whole killing thing. I said, I understand, you know, this was Old Testament times. And back then, you know, God was maybe, I don't know, it, killing sometimes was okay. And it started getting a little messy, messy. And he said, no, he can't do that. All of a sudden, it clicked. And I looked at all the kids. I said, you guys, Matthew's right. He can't do that. Because as I was telling them the story of Samson, I went to the beginning. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Samson's mother and father. And said, you will have a child, because she was sterile. And said, you will have a child. But this child will what? No razor will ever touch his head. Nor will he ever eat anything that comes from a vine. He's supposed to take the vow of a Nazarite from his birth until his death. See, a Nazarite vow was three things. It was, you can never cut your hair. You can never touch an unclean thing. You can never what? Drink from anything that comes from a vine. And I told this to my kids. And then I began to tell the story of the mighty deed that this man of God had done when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And this 10-year-old boy said, he can't do that. He can't do that. And as I looked back, I realized, Samson. See, I had focused on, he killed a thousand men. But this 10-year-old boy said, but he broke his vow. He touched that unclean, dead bone of a donkey. I said, no, 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 let's look past that. He, he killed a thousand men. But this 10-year-old boy said, but, but he broke his vow. I said, but, but he broke his vow. It blew my mind. It blew my mind. You know, I think maybe if Samson had killed five men, I think we would use this story. He broke his vow for five men. But it was a thousand men. You know what I'm talking about? It was a thousand men. If, if, it, was only, if it was only one man, we'd been like, look at, look at Samson disobeying God to just kill one man. But since it was a thousand, I've heard this sermon preached my whole life. A thousand men, a thousand men, one man against a thousand with the spirit of the Lord. But he broke his vow. You know, one thing that, that, that bothers me a lot is, is when I have to park and I can't find change. You know what I'm talking about? But the government, thankfully, has come up with a solution. They now take credit cards. How many of you guys know this? They take credit cards. And so, but I remember, I remember back in the days when there was no such thing as a credit card uh, parking meter. And instead, you actually had to manually turn a dial. You had to put a quarter in. But back then, a quarter gave you a full hour of parking. A full hour just for one quarter. Now it's like, what, sometimes five minutes for a quarter? So I remember, I remember one time, like, you always had to carry change with you, and it was annoying, and it was such an inconvenience. And I remember one time, um, I was about to put my quarter in the parking meter, and my friend said, no, Joe, I got a trick. So what are you talking about? And I don't know how many of you guys know this trick. You can't do it anymore because those meters are gone. But back in those days when you had the little manual handle, you, all you had to do was turn it halfway, and then bang, you hit that handle, and whoosh, that parking meter, one hour. It was, and not only that, you look cool when you did it too. You know what I mean? You turn that thing, bang. Poof. And so after that, man, I would, go, I would see strangers, hey, 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 don't put your quarter in there. Let me show you a trick. And I would turn that thing halfway, bang. It would go, and I'd be like, no problem. You know, I'd, I'd walk away looking real cool and everything. And, and I, I, remember, I remember one day I put my quarter in there, 
And as I was turning it, and I just as I was about to hit it, I felt what I know now is the Spirit of the Lord speak to me and say, Joe, that's how much it's worth. And instantly I knew what he was talking about. My character. I said, Joe, that's all your character's worth. A quarter. You would trade your character for a quarter. At least Samson traded it for a thousand men. You're trading it for a quarter. Now, I don't remember if I still did it or not. But I can tell you I don't do that anymore. I don't do it anymore. But Samson. Samson. For a thousand men. You know, I just wanted to talk about something today. And it wasn't just about the flesh, but it was about the spirit. You know, I was talking to a young man this week who's recently come back to the Lord, and, and he was sharing with me. And he says, you know, Joe, it's so hard, and, and you know, I, I've, I've cleaned up my life, but I'm so afraid. I, and, he, and he said this, I don't know how long I can maintain this. He's like, things are going great right now. No, things are going really good. In fact, things are going better than they've ever gone, but I don't know how long I can keep this up. And right when he said that, I said, you know what it is? That's because you're putting confidence in the flesh. Whenever you start to say, I don't know how long I can keep this up, it's because you're doing it out of the flesh. You know, and I wish you guys were all here for the pastor's appreciation night, because when Pastor Daniels started sharing about living in the spirit versus living in the flesh, I mean, that was some deep stuff there. You know, I began to realize how much of my life I've been living in the flesh. See, when I read the Bible, I read it in the flesh. That's why when I saw Samson killing a thousand men by breaking his vow, I skipped over the breaking the vow and said, he killed a thousand men. Let's preach on this. We've got to live in the spirit. You know what is a mark of the spirit? In 2 Corinthians 3.17, it says this. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. There is freedom. Now, growing up in the church myself, a lot of times I felt there was a lack of freedom. There was a lack of freedom. But did you, how do I say this? This past summer, I was speaking at a retreat for uh, um, high school students. And they had a Q&A time. And they asked all sorts of questions. A lot of them are dating questions, you know. Um, but they had this one interesting question that, that I thought was so brilliant. This one kid wrote, and I, had, I don't know who it was because it, it was anonymous. They said, can you sin in heaven? And I don't know if you've ever wondered that. Can you sin in heaven? And I remember I used, I used to wonder about that when I was a kid because I was afraid because I was a bad kid. You know, I said, I'm, I might get into heaven, but I might get thrown out. You know, and, and so when this kid asked, can you sin in heaven? It really resonated with me. And I thought about that. Can you sin in heaven? And I've heard pastors tell me, and, and it might be true. Pastors have said, oh, whatever choice you make here on earth, God will honor in eternity. So if, if you choose to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and, and you worship him on earth, and you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior on earth, when you go to heaven, he will remove any possibility of you being able to sin. And that might be true. But there's something about that that still makes me feel, mm, I don't know. And, and as I was thinking about this question, I said this. I can't give you a definite answer about this question, whether or not we can sin in heaven. But I do know this, that someone said what? Power corrupts. And now we say absolute power corrupts absolutely. But the only person to have ever experienced absolute power was who? Jesus. But he was incorruptible. And what I said to, this, to that group was this. I said, you know, this is what I feel God is saying. He wants you to be free. He wants you to be free. 
And he wants you to be powerful. But the only way that you will be able to manage all of this power and this freedom is one thing. If you have the character of Christ. And that's why God is so bent on developing in us the character of Christ. Because when you have the character of Christ, you are incorruptible. When you have the character of Christ, sin is not even an option anymore. See, before we come to know the Lord, there is a struggle within us between right and wrong, between good and bad. And so I used to struggle all the time. This is the right choice. This is the wrong choice. And there's a war inside of me. And sometimes the right choice wins, but sometimes the wrong choice wins. But guess what happens? As the Spirit of the Lord begins to live inside of you and grow and mature in you the character of Christ, guess what happens? He also changes the desires of your heart. He changes the desires of your heart. And this is what happens. You no longer begin to desire the wrong things. You begin to desire the right things. See, Jesus didn't come to make bad men good. He came to what? Make dead men live. See, the flesh needs to die. The flesh needs to fail so that the spirit can live. See, and this is what happens. When you are filled with the spirit, you no longer begin to wrestle with good and bad, right and wrong. But everything that you desire is good. Everything that you desire is right. And the only wisdom and discernment you need now is God. What is best? God, this is good. And this is good. And this is good. But God, which of these three will give you the most honor? Which of these three, God, will please you the most? Which of these three, God, will, will, will bless and have the greatest impact in my community, God? Because everything I desire now is good. But God, what is the best? See, God doesn't want to just give you better. He wants to give you best. And I know it because of my marriage. Man, there was a time when I was a kid growing up, I don't know where I got this from, but I had some bad theology, and it was this, God, you're going to make me marry a woman that I don't want to marry. And some of you guys are laughing because you know what I'm talking about. You thought that too. God, you're going to make me marry someone that I don't want to marry. Why? Because God, you want to teach me humility and patience and Christ-likeness and gentleness and forgiveness. God, because you want to punish me. So you're going to give me a woman to torment me all my days. <laughs> that is a lie. That is the furthest thing from the truth. I mean, Aaron has been the greatest blessing in my life. God doesn't just want to give you better. He really wants to give you best. You know, why do you think... Eve ate that fruit. Well, she was deceived. You know, and, and I love it when Dr. Kirby comments, he mentioned something that I never thought of before, that the serpent chose to speak to Eve. Because if, she could, if he could get to Eve, then he'd already gone to Adam. And so the serpent approaches Eve, and he says something very interesting. He looks at Eve and he says, did you know that if you eat this, you will be like God? See, what the serpent was saying this, and it's a lie that he's told in the beginning and he's still telling today. God doesn't want what's best for you. He's holding his best for himself. And whenever you feel like God doesn't want his best for you, you now begin to reach out to grab for what you think is best. There was another lie. You know, I'm going to keep talking about Aaron because I'm a newlywed, right? <laughs> it's only been five weeks. I think, I think she is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. 
you know, none of the ladies said amen, but okay, it's all right. <laughs> it's just my opinion. This is just opinion right now. I'm not preaching the Bible. In my opinion, in my eyes, she's the most beautiful woman, most beautiful person I've ever known and seen in my life. And you know, Adam felt the same way about Eve. Come on. Adam was by himself. You know, he, 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 was, he was king of the world, but by himself. You know, and, and it, it, it actually says that, that here's the thing. Loneliness is not a sin. Because Adam did not have a suitable partner, and yet he experienced this loneliness. And I used to make an accusation against God, say, see, God, I knew it. You're not enough. They always lie to me on Sunday, say, all I need is you, God. But look at Adam. He had you, in the, and there was no sin, and everything was perfect. He was the rule of the world, and he still felt lonely. <laughs> I, I, was a, I told you I was a bad kid, right? <laughs> I said, God, you're not enough. You're not enough. Until I realized something. Do you think Adam needed to eat? I think so. I think Adam got hungry and he ate. I think Adam got tired and he slept. And you know what? Adam, even though he believed in God, there was no such thing as sin, he still needed to breathe, right? He can be like, I don't need air. No, he, God created him to breathe. God created him to eat. God created him to sleep. Now, since Adam needed to breathe, God created air. Since Adam needed rest, God created sleep. Adam needed food. Adam was hungry. God created fruits. Adam needed a companion. God created Eve. See, God has created your desires. And too many times we think our desires are evil. We think our desires are wrong. No, at the core, God created those desires. But whenever we stop trusting God, and in the flesh we say, I'm going to satisfy my desire, that's what sin is. A friend once told me sin is this. Sin is a legitimate need met illegitimately see at the core of every sin there's a desire and if you look at the core of that desire it's usually something that was good but you're no longer trusting god to feel that so you reach out on your own you try to grab it and whenever you reach out in your flesh it what it leads us into sin but you see this was the lie that was told god doesn't want to give what's best for you but you know what pleases God? I've been watching people who are newlywed with kids. You know, all three of my sisters have children. You know, they just got married a couple, two years ago, and now they all three have kids. And this is what I notice. And I, I look at Benjamin and Sonny and with, with Alethea. Here's what I notice about them. They love to please Alethea. Like when Alethea has a need, they love being able to provide for her. Did you know what gives God pleasure? Being able to satisfy your needs. It gives him so much pleasure when there's a need and you say, Dad, there's this need and he provides. I mean, some of you guys are parents. You know, I remember growing up in the youth group. We had all sorts of families. And I remember there was there was this one family and, and they, they were really struggling one Christmas. So my friend who was a youth pastor, he went out and bought this girl a cell phone. Now, some of you guys are parents are like, what? Right. Because you don't just go out and buy another kid's uh, Children, uh, uh, another, not, not another kid's children, but, but another, you know, person's uh, daughter, a cell phone, right? There's, there's all sorts of stuff that needs to be talked about first. But he, he did not, he, he came back to me. He's like, I don't understand. She called me up and she was furious and she was so angry. I thought she would be happy because her daughter has been asking for this cell phone for so long. And, and, and then I bought it for her and she went and showed her mom that I bought her this cell phone. And, and she called me up furious. And I looked at him. I said, you know what? I think she was angry because she was hurt. 
I think she was hurting because she saw how happy you made her daughter. And it broke her heart as a mother not to be able to do that for her own child. You know, there's something in the heart of parents that they, they, just, they just love being able to provide and take care of the needs and desires of their children. And nothing pleases God like when He can satisfy the desires of your hearts, the desires that He's created in place there. You know, so there's Eve, and the serpent is telling her, God doesn't want what's best for you. Take it. But the serpent also says something else. If you eat this fruit, you will be like God. You'll be like God. If you just read a chapter or two earlier, it says this. God created male and female, both in his image. They already were like God. They already were like God. You know, I had a friend, attractive girl, not as, not as attractive as my wife. We're no longer friends either. And I remember she did, she did modeling on the side. I remember one time she said something to me. She said, Joe, I have a secret. And I was like, oh, here we go. You're in love with me. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You guys all know that's not true, right? And so she says, I got a secret. And I was like, what is it? She says, you know, I know I'm a pretty girl. And I was like, oh, okay. She says, but you want to know a secret? She says, I only feel pretty until a prettier girl walks in the room. And then I start to feel ugly. She's like, I can notice, even without looking, when guys start to pay attention to another girl over me. She says, I only feel pretty until a prettier girl walks in the room. I was like, wow, that's actually pretty profound. See, Eve, the first woman ever made, she has no one no one can compare to her, right? And because of sin is death. So because of that, we have wrinkles and cellulite and, you know, we get bigger and all this. But, but there was no sin. There was no wrinkles or sin. It says they were naked and unashamed, right? They had perfect DNA. There, there, was, there was not one faulty gene in their body. They had perfect, perfect, incorrupt, uncorrupted DNA, the most beautiful woman in the world after my wife. And Adam is looking at her. And, and there's no other woman to compare herself to. But the serpent comes and says, if you eat this, you'll be like God. Oh, wait, hold up. Look at God. Isn't God glorious? Isn't God beautiful? Isn't he amazing? You know what? You're nothing like him. And you need to eat this if you want to be like him. When we cannot see the value in ourselves... When we cannot see how beautiful we are created in God's image. We're made in His image. We're made in His image. I feel like this is what God wants to do. I feel like God wants to restore. I feel like this is a season where God wants, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end soon, actually. Um, and I'm all over the place today. But I feel it's just a season of restoration where God wants to restore us. He wants to restore the image of God and what, 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 how we look and who we are. You know, and 
I remember I was reading Ezekiel, and there's, there's a story about the valley of the dry bones where God takes the prophet Ezekiel, and he shows him a valley, and it's filled with dry bones. See, these weren't just fresh bones. See, and when Samson grabbed that bone of the, of, of the donkey, it says this, that, that it was a fresh jawbone. See, now here's the thing about Samson, though, before I move on real quick. See, Samson, we look at him, and we used to always blame Delilah, right? Just like we used to blame Eve. We used to blame Delilah. I'd be like, oh, Delilah. See, if Samson had never met Delilah. But did you know that before he met Delilah, Samson had already chosen his path? It says this, before he picked the jawbone of a donkey, you know what Samson did? It says one day he's walking along a road, and all of a sudden a young lion jumps out, and it says the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Samson, and by his bare hands he rips apart this young lion like he would tear apart a young goat. And I mean, I still think he's pretty strong because I don't even think I could tear apart a young goat. But it says the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he ripped apart a young lion. It says later as he was walking past the carcass of this lion, what? He's walking along and he notices that bees have made a home in this carcass and that there's honey inside the carcass. And Samson does this. He reaches inside the lion and he pulls out the honey and it's sweet to his mouth. But I'm sure Samson thought this. I know I'm a Nazarite. I know I'm supposed to touch no unclean thing, but this is what I'm going to do. See, I'm not going to touch the lion. I'm going to make sure not to touch any part of the carcass. I'm just going to touch the honey. I'm just going to get the part of the honey. But he knew in that time that if there was something unclean and it touched another unclean, that thing was now unclean. But in his mind, he just rationalized it away. He said, technically, I'm not touching the carcass. I'm just touching the honey that's touching the carcass. So before, long before he picked up the jawbone of a donkey, long before he met Delilah, he had already begun to compromise his character. But what I feel God is doing is this. I feel like God is restoring us to who we really are. He's restoring our character. He's restoring our image of Christ in us. And so what happens is that Ezekiel goes before the valley of dry bones. And as Ezekiel is looking out, it says this. Those bones had to be dry. Because, you know, if, if, it's, a, if it's a fresh jawbone, you know what happens? There's still blood inside the bone. Did you know that? The marrow inside the bone produces the blood, and Jesus said life is in the blood. See, that, it, you can't just have a bone, but it's got to be dead. It's got to be dry. So when, Jesus, when, when God shows Ezekiel this valley, it's a valley of dry bones. There's nothing left. There's no marrow left. There's no, there's no blood left. There's nothing left. It's dry, and it's bleached out. And it says when he looks at these bones, the Lord says what? Prophesy. And as he begins to speak over these bones, there's a rattling and there's a shaking. And these bones start to come together and, and they start to line themselves as skeletons. And then sinews and tendons grow and then flesh wraps over it. But what? There's no breath. And then God says again, prophesy breath into them. And as he prophesies breath, what happens? It says the four winds comes and the spirit of the Lord begins to fill them with breath and they become living things. See, I feel like what God wants to do right now is he wants to begin to restore us. He wants to restore the flesh and he wants to restore the spirit. If we could get the praise team up here or someone on the, the keyboard. I just wanted to share just a testimony before I end. It was about a couple months ago. And I went to a prayer meeting in Berkeley. And as I was in this prayer meeting, um, at the end of the prayer meeting, they said, whoever wants to receive a prophetic ministry um, will only take two today. But, but preferably if it's your first time. And I had gone to this prayer meeting twice. And so I was like, oh, I really wanted to get prayed for today, but uh, I'll let someone else go. And so one girl immediately says, pray for me. And they say, okay. And they look around. They say, anyone else? Anyone else? And I remember thinking, I want to get prayed for. I want to get prayed for. But they said, if it's your first time, but I want to get prayed for. And the guy said, well, if there's no one else, I said, me. Pray for me. He said, okay. And so they took us to into the back room. 
And they prayed for the girl, and they said good things over her, and it was speaking to her, and she was crying. So I was like, okay, this is going to be good. And then they let her go. And then I got down there, and I started, and I sat there. And, and, and the guy, his name was Joe. He's actually um, uh, one of the leaders at the Ark. Now the Ark is under Living Hope. And so Joe, he's praying for me, and he says, you know, as Dennis was, was praying in the Spirit, as Dennis was praying in tongues, I all of a sudden, all of a sudden got an interpretation for that tongue. And it was, I will restore. And he says, as he was, and Dennis goes, dude, I had no idea what I was praying, but I felt such an anointing on that when I was praying in the spirit. And, and, and Joe said, I know, I, I, immediately I saw it. The, the interpretation of the tongue you were praying, Dennis, was, I will restore. And then he looked at me and he said, Joe, when you sat down here, as we began to pray for you, all of a sudden God showed me that that word was specifically, it was corporately for us, but specifically for you, Joe, I will restore. And you see, what you don't know is that a couple months ago, I was in a valley of dry bones where I was dry. I was dry. I've known what it's like to be close to God. I know what it's like to hear God so clearly I can't stop opening my mouth and the spirit is flowing. But I also know what it's like to feel so far away, but you have to go up and say something. So you say something that you remember that you heard that once you felt was true, but you don't even know if it's true anymore, but you just say it and then you get off the stage and hope to leave as quickly as possible and get home. And I was going through a dry place. And I remember about three, four months ago, though, God was doing a restoring. He was beginning to restore. He was beginning to breathe the wind and the breath of life back into me. And I remember I was praying and he said, Joe, the word for you is God will restore. And my heart began to beat. And I said, yes, yes, God, you're restoring. You're restoring. And just that week as I had been praying, God showed me a vision. And it was a vision of a battlefield. And on it, I could see to the left, stretching for endless and endless and endless into the horizon, were mighty men and women. And then to the right, endless and endless into the horizon, mighty men and women clad for battle. And we were on this battlefield, but there was one big empty box in the middle. And I remember, I remember, I don't know where I was, but I was looking at this and I remember thinking, there's an empty space. And all of a sudden an angel stepped forward and blew a trumpet and started to shout, where are the burning ones? Where are the burning ones? Where are the burning ones? And I remember something in my heart started saying, God, I want to be a burning one. I want to be a burning one. And as Joe is praying for me, I'm remembering this vision and I start praying, God, I want to be a burning one. God, I want to be a burning one. And right then, as I'm praying inside, Joe says, fire. God's restoring the fire. He's restoring the fire, Joe. And I started saying, I want to be a burning one. God, I want to be a burning one. Then all of a sudden, Joe just grabs my left shoulder and he says, do you have pain in the shoulder? And I said, about three, four years ago, I dislocated it. And since then, it's dislocated maybe 25, 26 times. My brother David is there. He knows. He's popped it back in multiple times. It came to, if you guys are Facebook friends with me, you can go on my Facebook. There's a profile picture of me of cliff jumping as we're river rafting. I'm jumping off a cliff. But the funny story is this. As I climbed up there, everyone is, is so timid to jump that I'm like, when I jump, I'm going to jump like a boss. And so when it was my turn, I ran and jumped. And, and, and I was like, ah! but as I jumped, I, I forgot that my feet were wet and it was how slippery it was. I slipped, and as I slipped, my left arm came forward and it popped out. And then I hit the water. And then my friend had to pop it back in. And as I crawled back into the raft, one of my friends said, that was the strangest thing I ever saw, Joe. Because you jumped and you were like, ah! But right about here, you were silent on the rest of the way down. I was like, because right there is where my shoulder popped. You know, there were times I played basketball and I would do a crossover and my shoulder would pop out. 
One time I was lying in bed and I stretched like this with my left side and it popped out and I had to shout for my brother for five or six minutes to come and, and pop it back in, but he ignored me. <laughs> but he, he eventually came. There were times I would dance and it would pop out. There was one Christmas morning a couple years ago where I woke up my brother David because he's actually a very gifted and talented dancer. And, and it, it was Christmas. My whole family was together. I'm the oldest of six. We're not always together. I got so excited. I started kicking him. Hey, get up. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. And, and, and I, I don't know what it was. I just started crumping. You know, I was so excited. And then as I was crumping, my shoulder came out. And I said, no, really, get up. You got to get up. You got to pop it back in. I mean, it came to the point where I just would not use his shoulder anymore. And I remember I would go before prayer meetings and prayer meetings and people would, would pray for healing. I wouldn't step forward because so many people would pray for my shoulder. But right there in that room as we were praying, as the word of restoration came, as he said that God is restoring the fire in your life. And I said, God, I want to burn for you. I want to burn for you. He said, do you have pain in my shoulder? I said, yeah. I've dislocated three, four years ago. And it's come out like 25, 26 times. I don't use this shoulder anymore. And, you know, I don't even think about it. I'm okay now. I, I just don't use it. But he looked at me and said, Joe, as a sign that God is going to restore the fire in your life, and he said he's going to restore this young generation through you, Joe, as a sign that God's going to restore this generation, he says he's going to heal your shoulder right now. And I don't know what came over me, but I started to weep, and I just said, I believe. I said, I believe. I believe. So they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed for me. And after they were prayed, my friend Joe looked at me and said, so how's your shoulder? And I said, I'm going to test it out. But I'm scared because if I move it like this, it's, it's, it pops out like that. If I stretch it like this, it's going to pop out. But you know what? I'm going to test it out. And even one of the guys who was praying for me, when I said I was going to test it out, he went, oh. And I said, you just prayed for me. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, you're not encouraging me right now. And I took my shoulder. And I have not done this for three or four years. See, some of you guys don't know me. My brother's right there. He's seen it pop out. He's seen See, my wife wasn't there for this. About a week later, she met me as I was speaking at a retreat. And I, and she, I told her the story on the phone, like, babe, God healed my shoulder. And I heard it. She's like, wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. At the retreat, she was rubbing my back, and she starts to cry. I said, like, babe, I know your hands are tired, but come on, 10 more minutes. Just, just, <laughs> she starts to cry. She says, Joe, I know God healed your shoulder, but as I'm touching your back, I can't tell the difference. She said this left one used to stick out funny, but she's like, I can't say, Joe, I can't tell the difference. And she just started to cry. You know, as I was traveling around this summer, I got to speak again for children. There's about 100 or 120 kids there. And on the last night, I brought out a pinata. And I had to invite a couple of the kids to come up because, man, I remember I used to love hitting pinata. So these kids came up. And, you know, this first little girl, she came up. She was so cute. You know, she, had, she held that bat in her hand, and she was like, ah! And nothing happened. She hit it again, bang! Nothing happened. Then the next kid came up, hit it, bang! Nothing happened. Hit it again, bang! Nothing happened. Then the third kid came up, bang! A single candy fell to the ground. And you know what those 120 kids did? They started getting up. <laughs> they started creeping forward. And I said, hit it again, hit it again! So the kid took his, took his bat and, boom, hit it again. A little more candy came out. These kids were crowding around the stage. The next kid came up. I said, hit it again. This kid hit it. Boom. That pinata exploded. And the candy went flying. All these kids came running onto the stage, grabbing candy. Man. You know what I realized? 
these kids had faith. You know, faith is being what? Certain of what you can't see? You know, and, and certain of what you hope for and what you can't see? See, these kids by faith knew that this pinata contained candy. And they knew it contained more than one. See, that when that one lone single candy fell and, and, and it was picked up, they didn't leave because they said, oh, you can take that candy because I know there's more for me. They said, you go ahead and have that one candy because I know it's about to break. And I want to be standing right under it when it breaks. See, there were people that were like, yeah, God healed your shoulder, Joe, but what about me? No, see, this, this little thing right here, I mean, this great thing that God did for me, though, this shoulder being healed, guess what? It's just that little candy, that first candy that fell to the ground. It's a sign of restoration. See, the physical healing is just a sign of restoration that God is coming to restore, that God is standing over not just living hope, but God is standing over this generation, and he's about to say, I'm going to come and rip open this pinata, and the candy's going to come. The candy's going to come. But do you have the faith to stand there in expectation? Because if you're not there standing under it, you're going to miss it when it falls. I believe God's word is this. I'm coming to restore. I'm coming to restore. And in that vision, I asked one question. I said, God, who can hope to be a burning one? I said, who could ever hope to be a burning one? Do you have to be like Paul or like Moses, Pastor Benjamin, Pastor Sonny? Who can hope to be a burning one? And immediately the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said, you want to know who can be a burning one? The broken ones. It's the broken ones are the ones that will burn for me. And I know in this house there's a movement to rescue those who've been trafficked. You know, you're actually, you're not going to rescue victims. You're going to set free the burning ones. Because those people who've been trafficked, they're broken. They're going to burn for God. See what happens is, like Pastor Daniel said, your flesh needs to fail. You need to fail utterly and miserably and fall on your face. And when you fail is when the Spirit of God's going to rise. So let the flesh fail. Let the flesh fail. Because the Spirit of God is going to rise. And the Spirit of God is coming to restore. He's coming to restore. Before the Old Testament ends, he says this, I will set the hearts of the fathers back to the children and hearts of the children back to the father. That's the word of restoration. He's coming to restore and he's doing it now. So what I want to do is this, as a body, if you just say, God, I need restoration. God, I want to be one of the burning ones. I just want you to stand up to your feet right now. I just want you to rise to your feet. Let the Spirit of God rise. Let the Spirit of God rise. Let the Spirit of God rise. God, we just declare right now, Father, that we will be the burning ones, God, in this house. We will be the burning ones, Lord God. Oh, we just invite you to come, Spirit. We just invite you to come. And Lord, that word of restoration, God, is for all of us. It's for all of us, God. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I want those who especially feel like, man, I'm in the valley of dry bones. I'm in the valley of dry bones. I feel a little something, but it's, it's not enough. I feel a little stirring. See, it's okay. Because you know what? I realize, you know what kind of wood burns the fastest, burns the quickest? Dry wood. See, you being dry, it, it's actually a sign that God's about to release His Spirit upon you. You being in that dry valley is actually, a, it's actually, it's actually a prerequisite before the Spirit can come and stir you and fill you. You've got to be in that dry place. See, Moses had to go into the wilderness. He had to go into the dry, barren wilderness before the Spirit of God was going to come, before that fire was going to burn the bush. See, if you're feeling dry, it's that prerequisite for the Spirit of God to come. It's actually an indicator and a sign. So God, for those of you who feel like you're in the dry place, 
I want you to come forward right now and we're just going to lay hands on you. And these men and women of God who have fire, they're going to lay hands on you and you're going to start to feel the fire of God come upon you. Yes, Lord. If I could get some of the leaders, if I get some of the leaders to surround these people right here and just begin to pray.